G'day soldiers of the Altcoin Army, welcome to another episode of the Altcoin Buzz Podcast with your hosts Alicia, Jeremy and James. Welcome back guys to another another episode, another day, another hack. Who got hacked this time? I don't know. <laughs> it's just <laughs> something Charlie Lee says, I thought it would work, clearly not. Oh yeah. Just random stuff happening. <laughs> That's right, look, it's, it's, it's late at night, it's a Friday, TGIF, we're going to kick back, have a beer, chill out, have a couple of laughs, but um... We've got a special guest on today, David Freuden. He was actually our first interview that we did with uh, Leisha, Maddie, and myself, Jeremy. So I know that you've listened to the episode. I know that you're uh, you're fairly familiar. Without further ado, let's get into it. David Freuden, welcome back to the Altcoin Buzz podcast. Good to see you again, mate. Thank you very much, James. Thanks for having me back. Oh yeah, well you were our first interview. It's uh, good to good that we didn't scare you off. It was definitely uh, one hell of a blunder that <laughs> that first podcast. But I assure you, we have definitely picked up our game from then. So uh, I'd like to introduce you to Jeremy. He's actually one of the new co-hosts. Maddie uh, Maddie went on to pursue other other goals and aspirations. So Jeremy's taken his place and been with us for been with us about two months now, haven't you, Jeremy? Uh, I think a month, month and a half, ish, something half. like that. Nice to meet you, though, David. Nice to meet you too, Jeremy. So yeah, Jeremy's out out of the uh, out of the US, so it's good that we replaced a Canadian with an American. I'm sure that Jeremy's very happy with that. Sending Maddie back up to Canada. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you remember. I'm sure you remember the lovely Leisha. Yeah, uh, good to hear you, David. Uh, and. Uh, like, uh, we already screwed off, and now you want Jeremy to, oh, sorry, Maddie to leave forever and ever? <laughs> Look, if I don't insult someone per episode, I'm not doing my job. That's exactly what I was hired for. You guys are the brains and the looks. I'm just here for the comedy relief. That's as far as I'm going. It even says it in his contract. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, tell us about uh, any advancements since the last time we spoke to you. I'm sure that you've got some pretty fantastic news to give us. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here in the madhouse with us. Oh, I do love a madhouse. Um, yeah, there, there's been quite a lot of advancements, actually. Um, probably two, well, one that's just been announced today, which is, um, and this is to do with Zinfin. Sorry, I'll go back a, a second. Um, one of the blockchains that I advise on is Zinfin, which is a hybrid blockchain. And by being a hybrid blockchain, I mean it's both the best qualities of a private blockchain and a public blockchain. So they've just launched today uh, a new DAP called Torrent Pay, which will be going live in the in quarter one, 2019, and that'll be competing directly with Swift. Um, for those that aren't familiar with Swift, because it, it's almost um, invisible for a lot of people, we use it for international bank transfers, for bank to bank to transfer money, and it's really expensive, and they take a big clip out of everyone's transfer. So Zinfin will be launching um, Tarant Pay uh, in quarter one, 2019, and I'll have more information of that in about a month. But what's really big for us at the moment is a DAP called TradeFinex, which was actually the first thing we launched when we did our ICO, and we've been piloting it with several large multinationals in various countries and also with some governments. And that's the most... um, the really big tick for us is that we're getting traction from 
different countries and different government levels in regards to using Trade Connects to fund infrastructure projects. Like if you need to raise money to build a bridge or build a hospital or for a power plant, um, Trade for Next allows governments to crowdsource getting investment for it on much better terms than trying to get uh, domestic investment. Or more importantly, get investment when they just couldn't before, which is what the biggest problem is. So that's probably the biggest advancement we've had since we caught up last time. Yeah, you wrote an article for Alcantara. It's quite long. It's about Trade for Next and there are lots of aspects. Uh, from what I understood, your goal is to provide access to funds for different enterprises. Am I right? Correct. So it's really about crowdsourcing funding. So think about if you want to borrow money, like from a from a domestic level, if you if we wanted to borrow money, we'd go to a bank, say we want to buy a house. But if a government wants to borrow money to build bridges and things that cost tens of millions or hundreds of millions, it's a lot harder to access that money. And Tradefinex is a crowdsourcing platform that actually addresses that. And we've got two core groups that we've been running pilots with. One is critical infrastructure projects. Um, so again, specifically ones that we're piloting at the moment are solar power plants. Um, and the other group that we're targeting are what they call nano, micro, small and medium businesses. So basically small businesses with less than 200 staff in countries where they just can't borrow money. They just don't have the infrastructure to have access to funds. So Trade for Next is addressing that problem as well. So you've got the big end of town with the hundreds of millions and the tens of millions and the small end of town where they're needing loans from 10000 to a couple of hundred thousand dollars in different countries. Uh, that's actually a very interesting uh, topic to bring up because uh, I wrote an article about Twigga, maybe you heard about it. It's like a blog-based um, blog app and Kenyan, uh, Kenyan businessmen, like small businessmen like, use it. Is it something you like? So people like that, like regular people in Africa or countries which are alike, can benefit from this project or only government? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, definitely. So mm -hmm. in when we launched, uh, when Zinfin launched Trade for Next, they launched it in India with, um, they launched it in India with a group called um, Asham, A-S-S-O-C-H-A-M. So that's the Indian, that's their largest trade organization in India. They've got 450,000 members. So they launched it there so that they could provide access to those members to actually be able to get some funding. Because under traditional, you know, you try to get money, the first thing a bank wants is collateral. And a lot of businesses aren't structured that way. So we do definitely target that. And by crowdsourcing finance means investors can be in any other country all around the world. But if they resonate with what your business is and has an understanding of it, they're able to fund you on and you negotiate terms through the through the platform and then use blockchain to manage its implementation. So How it's definitely targeting that group. Uh, but I mean, like uh, the banks, they ask uh, for a collateral for a reason. How will you deal if, with the fact that like a small businessman or whoever is not able to pay back? Um, well, there's two, diff two different things on that. The first one is, will someone lend to someone without collateral? And the answer to that is yes, it happens every day of, of the week all around the world. It just comes down to what's the size of the loan and how big is the risk and how do they define risk? Um, the second one is, what do you do if loans go bad? And again, that goes back to risk management. So if you look at even America with your um, 
whole collapse of your real estate market when loans went bad and your whole economy went down, even with collateral, there was nothing to sell. So risk management includes collateral as one aspect, but it's only one aspect of risk management. It's not the only aspect um, or about having recourse. You know, in America, you have non-recourse loans as well for businesses where you can borrow money that do have no recourse if things go poorly. So the beauty of Tradefinex is you get to negotiate your own terms. And if you want, if you deem the risk to be slightly higher, you can charge a higher uh, interest rate. Or if it's very low risk, you can charge a lower interest rate or different payment terms or a different length or duration. The platform of Tradefinex doesn't set these terms. It's up to the, the beneficiaries who are seeking funding to negotiate with who they crowdsource with. But what the platform does is help find those people um, and then becomes a platform to negotiate the terms using blockchain so we can remove lots of layers of middlemen and lots of costs. That's, that's very good to hear, actually. What about you, Jeremy? What kind of questions do you have? I, I'm drawing a blank here. I really, I mean, I, <laughs> I can't think of anything because, like I said, we were, I just listened to the other podcast last night and it talked quite a bit about Tradefinex on that one. It's um, uh, it's an interesting one. So we, we had a meeting a few months ago and we signed up with a, the official monetary and financial institution forum. So that's like, you know how you've got, they call them sovereign funds when governments have heaps of money of their own money tied up in central banks, pension funds. So there's about $30 trillion that they invest in infrastructure. So we help working with people like that to use our platform to help them find investments. So you mentioned, Leisha, like how do small businesses access money? It's actually the other side as well. How do investors access opportunities? Mm-hmm. And be- becoming the marketplace for both of them. So it's not really driven just from people needing money. It's also driven from a huge amount of money that's out there looking for investment opportunities that suit their profile. So basically, you have users on the app that are willing to loan out so much money for so many different reasons that they'll pretty much list and then they just kind of wait on somebody to come around that's needing it on top of obviously the private crowdsourcing that you were discussing already? Um, Sort of. Because we're still in pilot phase, we're due to go live in September, end of September. Um, So there's a bit more hand-holding at the beginning where we're helping match those partners manually. So for example, we've we've onboarded some financial institutions and we know their appetite is to invest in certain infrastructure projects in specific countries. So we've been negotiating to get those specific projects onto the platform so that we can test everything through the blockchain to make sure the implementation happens seamlessly. So that's the benefit of running pilots is you get to um, have real user cases test it, make sure everything works robustly, and then we can roll that out into alpha, um, which we're looking at doing in a few months. But once we are live, then yes, there'll be more more and more investors being onboarded onto the platform and more and more beneficiaries looking for funding onboarded onto the platform. And the third leg is we also onboard uh, suppliers. So for example, if you want to build a solar plant, you also need the people that have the skills to build it. And we onboard them as well so that we can manage the whole payment infrastructure through blockchain on the one platform. Right. 
Now, I want to um, take you to back back to May earlier this year, how Zimdin became the official technology partner for the official monetary and financial institution forum, OMFIM. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, that's a that, that's a big statement to make, that you, you're the official technology partner for that. Uh, looking at the article that you wrote here, you put the uh, the Treasury, also known as the Global Public Investor, with an investable asset of $33.8 trillion dollars. With you being this official technology partner, is is this the beginning stepping stone? Like, how much further is there to go before this becomes a, as you put it, the the global public investor? When is this going to become implemented in most banks? Because obviously, the way that you're talking is you want this implemented all over the world. Um, how far from that goal do you think you are? Um, well, we're not the only ones tackling that challenge. So research shows that about 90% of every bank in the world is currently investing and researching in blockchain. Mm. So no, no, no one entity can come even close to, to servicing all of that. And, and that's not our objective. What our objective is is to build a platform that allows banks, governments, uh, beneficiaries, builders of bridges, etc., to have one environment as a marketplace for matching. In regards to how long will that take, um, you know, governments are really large with heaps of departments. You'll have the American or you'll have many governments, their tax department saying we're not ready for blockchain. And yet those exact same countries have other government departments who are already doing pilots in blockchain. Mm. So you have a lot of contradictions inside of countries because there are different departments within the government with different objectives. Um, when those governments start to make public statements is, and come public with what they've been doing with testing, that's really the question that's unknown at the moment. Uh, it won't be weeks, but I definitely believe it'll be months to within a year that we'll start seeing more and more governments starting to acknowledge that they've been doing and using blockchain. And we know that there some already are. We know that there's another great Australian company, um, HST, who's been doing uh, voting for some countries overseas that are adopting their blockchain for voting. So we're seeing some governments already coming out adopting the use of blockchain with cryptocurrencies attached. Um, so it's is it a matter of time? I think we're already doing it. The question is when will they start coming public with what's been tested for six months? Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to make an announcement having not tested something for a while and making sure it works. Mm. Now, the EFT, I'm sure you know about the news about the EFT uh, that's been going around that's quite big news the last couple of weeks. Do you think that that's, that form of news has brought more of a limelight to what you're doing um, in the sense of putting it out there to the public's knowledge and kind of riding that wave of positive energy? Is that Has this helped increase uh, awareness of what you're doing? Um, not directly, no. I think it's great for the whole ecosystem. I think it's a really good thing for the ecosystem. Um, you know, you always get those questions. I think we discussed it last time when, when people are like, when can I pay for my hamburger with cryptocurrency? Mm. And as a consumer, we're the last in the food chain that will be dealt with because we as a consumer may spend $10 for a hamburger. Like say, for example, you go to McDonald's, you want a burger. Can I pay in crypto? But before McDonald's would implement crypto for us to pay, they would first implement it within their own supply channel where they can save millions of dollars rather than just use it to facilitate just at the consumer end. So supply chain logistics, um, business to business environment, business for infrastructure, that's where the savings are of such significant value and that's where the focus is at the moment. So with e, um, looking at the exchange traded funds coming on board, 
I think they're great for getting awareness of what's happening at a banking level and an investment level. For us, rolling out a product with specific user case for specific clients, it doesn't have a direct impact other than the whole ecosystem is just gaining more acceptance. Long answer, sorry. No, no, no. no. Well, we, uh, we need long answers. Obviously, we don't want this to, to be cut really short. It's only 15 minutes in. But Jeremy, uh, Leisha and I have asked a number of questions. I think it's uh, Tom. you contributed to the party. Before before he contributes to the party, I'm gonna ask Gabby a question. Uh, I love that. Before you speak, let me get my shit right. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Let her go. Let her go. I, I think he's only happy. So, so. And um, uh, what I wanted to ask is like, uh, you, David, not only you, because blockchain is always associated with transparency. But you say that like transparency is the future because it enables private, transparent fund allocation and expenditure and mm-hmm. i wanted to ask you like uh, i mean sure transparency is a big issue uh, and yes there are let's call them stakeholders or whoever governments or uh, whatever other entities which are interested in, in it but there are as not interested in it under any opposition because um like you know when it comes to creating your app from uh, because like lots of yeah, lots of institutions are not really, are not really willing to be in the first place. Look, totally. Look, it's um, there's a massive divide between public and private blockchain, and there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be on one or the other. When it comes to trust, one of the reasons you see um, a lot of private networks being used in blockchain rather than public is specifically because of the trust element. They don't want the data to be transparent. They wish to control who has access to the network and they want to be able to invite people for certain elements of that private network, which is why private networks in blockchain are what are being looked at within the banking world where they set up consortiums such as um, Hyperledger and Corda. The advantage of a hybrid model is you get to still do a private network, but you're only using the public network to verify something happened. You're not actually putting that data on the public network. You're just saying, can you verify that this transaction happened without sharing who made the transaction, who's receiving the transaction, or what's in the transaction? Um, And that's where you're seeing the, the easiest step for large institutions and government because they're not ready to go public nor is blockchain ready to handle that quantum of load either so it's really let's go from private and then the next logical step is towards a hybrid model where the trust is through public verification without having to share data publicly um, to everybody so you still have some controls and mechanisms in place yes jeremy are you you going to give jeremy permission now (laughs) yes yes I can go now. I'm you guys, you guys rock. <laughs> oh, okay, so I wanted to ask. I know you said the product isn't live yet, but have you already started accepting signups for financers, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Yes, absolutely. We've been in beta for quite a few months now, and part of that has been signing on all three parties so that we can test what a real user case would look like to make sure that everything works and it's have always, you had a real use case outside of testing yet um no that's what we'll do when we're live but the ones we're testing are actual real clients who will be using us 
um, but we're still in beta going through the transaction and making sure everything works. So once we do go live, we're expecting some announcements to also come from those clients who have been in beta. But again, it's up to the clients to, we always get pestered on, in Telegram, like when can you announce things? And it's up to the clients to make announcements because there's a human element about introducing any technology, which is about how do you manage the implication of change? And it's one thing to implement the technology of blockchain, but the clients also have to make sure what they do internally with their staff and what they do externally with other layers of intermediaries they'll no longer need is something they also need to manage. So it always takes a bit longer than what we'd like for people to make announcements, but it's always up to the client to make that. But we are expecting some when we launch in September. Well, I wish you the uh, the very best with that. Now, with you were saying that you've got a few people on in case scenario, looking at your article, you said that this was built on Ethereum in the fork of Quorum. Is JP Morgan uh, one, of the, one of the businesses that you're working closely with, considering that Quorum is uh was developed by jp morgan um i can't comment on who we're working with and who we're not working with at all bugger us um, i was hoping i was getting you to sleep up <laughs> 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 uh, haven't had enough wines for that one buddy sorry <laughs> drink a few more so do you want to go to the bar <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it's been very interesting when you get people like JP Morgan where the CEO comes out to say that Bitcoin's a fraud and yet a year earlier they've already been developing blockchain for their private clients for banking. So it's a really good example when you look at JP Morgan and go, well, why have they developed Quorum? Why are they getting involved in blockchain? What's their reasoning? And when you start asking questions like that, it's you, you really get an understanding that a lot of banks and large global institutions are moving this way much more so than we think because none of them can make public statements until they're ready to implement because there is such a big impact of what implementation means. So it's great to see large entities like JP Morgan, even though they may have a swing at Bitcoin. I believe they'd make that statement because he personally doesn't own or he didn't invent Bitcoin. That's just my personal perception of it. But um, they built an amazing... Um, private network on the basis of Quorum to service their customers' needs. And JP Morgan has big customers. I've always Absolutely. taken it on the uh, that JP Morgan's going down the route that any it, it's the classic business business model um, for people that want to try and get into something cheap. The, the, the people who practically patented asbestos uh, back in the day we made asbestos the the greatest thing ever is insulation and as soon as the pattern ran out and everyone else had, could start to use it oh it's got health ramifications this that and the other or we can't use it anymore please move over to ceramic fiber and then as soon as that one goes there'll be the next one it's the old classic you know let's tell everyone it's we've got this large reputation if we say it's crap we'll scare everyone off that's got money when the market goes down, we'll buy a whole heap of it. And once we own a large portion of the market, hey, guys, get in now while they are, you know, it's it's just classic price manipulation. That's my, that's my honest little belief between uh, uh, for JP Morgan Group and others like them. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not such a conspiracist theorist as, as yourself. I don't think it's as much about manipulation. No I think beers. it's more about the fact that JP Morgan has really big clients. Think about the size, you know, their smallest client probably does a couple of billion dollars. So they're building blockchain 
for one simple purpose to service clients who generate that who have that much coin under management mm -hmm. that's a positive for the whole blockchain ecosystem it's a real positive um and they're not the only ones doing this i mean there's mm -hmm. massive 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 groups joined together in different consortiums everywhere so i think it's positive is there price manipulation tied to it oh, i'm not smart enough to know those those answers but it's an interesting question David, is that a voice I... in my head? Was that a voice in my head? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, David, I think you should know that James is this uh, the little guy defender. That's why he doesn't like uh, JP Morgan. I assume. I never sort of didn't like them. I just this just doesn't seem to be any anything different than what's been done in the past. All you got to do is look at past history and and like you said, JP Morgan's got clients that make billions of dollars, but at the end of the day, JP Morgan has to make money as well. So what better way than if you can get into a market that's dirt cheap and then you can, with your reputation, get that just on reputation alone to boost the market. If you've got in at a really low rate, then you're going to make squillions off of it. JP Morgan's done it in the past. You know That's why I don't think it's so much a conspiracy that this is just a business tactic. At the end of the day, you just think history. History is repeating. Yeah, exactly. This is no different than anything else in regards to uh, the stock market. It's the same thing. I wouldn't call it insider trading. That's not it. But it's if like uh, Warren Buffett, he openly admits he doesn't understand anything about Bitcoin. But if someone told him that you know by you saying that would drop the market, and then you can buy it at five bucks, and then you say Bitcoin's going to be the next best thing, knowing you've got a whole portfolio of people that will put money towards it simply because you say so, why wouldn't you take that advantage? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Um, I don't look at the. I mean, I totally get that. I really do. I'm, I'm less of a speculator and more of a. Is there a real business behind things? which is such a challenge in the whole world of crypto space, yeah? Like, what is the business model behind each project? Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what's great about you guys too with your programs. You get to start asking questions and uncovering, is there really a business case beneath this that Bitcoin, that uh, blockchain is going to support and that blockchain needs to, to be used to leverage it and scale it? Mm. Seb, did you want to ask something or are you just lurking? <laughs> in his boxes. I'm just listening. Oh, well, shit. You made it sound like you wanted to ask something. Um, nah. <laughs> Thanks for the contribution. <laughs> you said, I want to get in on the action. I want to just sit there and lurk. Yeah, no, yeah, no. His getting in the action is him sitting there with his fucking bowl of cereal watching Tour de France with one earphone listening to this. Oh, my God. Oh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I want to do it. I want to do a tour bus with you guys. It'd just be unreal. We would be so fucking shit faced. Alicia <laughs> will be shit faced the entire time. She's probably hungover now. No, that's not true. <laughs> But tomorrow I might be. So I was going to say, it's only, it's only like, what, 11 o'clock there in the morning, 12 o'clock? No, 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 it's 3.37 in the afternoon for her. No, oh, it's yeah. 3.37, so it's fine. <laughs> Does it all make sense to What's you guys? Okay. Yeah, no, no, I completely understand. You've explained yourself um, really well on the first and uh, on this one as well. That's why I'm at a loss for questions. Yeah. 
cool. I sometimes get worried if my Aussie accent baffles you, but at least you, I'm not the only Aussie on this. Mate, so if they can know, understand me, if they can understand me, they'll understand you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But yeah, no, it, it's it's a very it's a very simple concept to to grab your head around. It, it's just all of the actual monetary value is hidden because you don't want it's no one's business how much money gets transferred. But at least there is a record of the transaction taking place, so people know there was money moved. You just don't know how much. Or from where to where, and yeah, you know, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of a hybrid blockchain, and that's why large banks, governments, and other people will, will go that way rather than a public blockchain. Mm. So you which know, part- it's, it's fairly simple. Which governments are cooperative right now? I, mean, like- I can't mention that oh, at okay. all. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, because you'll be like, sent to Gulag. Guys, <laughs> we need booze. Come on. Well, I'm closer, <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll catch up down at the pub. If, if if I did mention a government, I think the IRS would audit all of you as punishment. Oh my! Well, we're in, in Australia. Australia. One of us, they can audit. And I know. I was going to say, Leisha and me, we're completely fine. Jeremy's the one that would be completely fucked. <laughs> I got three kids. I'm not worth auditing. They're going to be like, "Oops, we should give you more money." <laughs> Here's a free mobile phone. <laughs> Or, yeah, or, no, or I can't talk about that one. All I, all I can mention is that it's been great to be able to see large-scale infrastructure projects looking at Trapenex as a means of financing rather than their traditional models, which is raising taxes or running a lottery. I mean, in Australia, we, we funded the Sydney Opera House by running a lottery for 30 years because yep. we didn't have the money. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to raise funds, and the richer the country, the easier it is. But if you're in Africa, India, lots of countries in the APAC region, you need uh, different mechanisms to access funds. It's easier if you're a top five rich country like uh, or city like Sydney is to, to access funds. But other countries, you need to be a lot more creative and have a larger reach and create different opportunities. It's good that countries and governments are actually taking the time to not just um, push you to the side, but actually listen to what you got to say. So you know it's uh, leap, leaps and bounds um, compared to a lot of yeah, people out absolutely. there that just completely get shut off at the first phone call. So uh, you're doing you're doing well, mate, and all power to. So I think this is the uh, the moment where I give you a bit of a plug to uh, to tell people anything that you want, anything to our listeners, um, any last last minute remarks or comments that you want to make. Oh, look, you know, the best plug I can do is um, Zinfin's the first hybrid blockchain and we're hybrid for a very clear reason, which is we know who our customers are and what what their needs are. So um, definitely worth a long-term investment. We're not interested in short-term speckies or spikers. We'd rather have people come for the journey as um, we're there for long-term and always do your homework. Just always do your research. Jump on Telegram groups, talk to people. And where would be, uh, for the people who didn't listen to the first podcast that may be new to our uh, podcasting channel, where's the best place to find you if they want to go more information? Any communities, any Telegram groups, Facebook groups, anything that you've got an active community in? Yeah, Zinfin's got a, um, a really good Telegram group. So it's just X-I-N-F-I-N. Their uh, crypto is X-D-C-E. So you can jump on them on Telegram. Easiest way to get to all of their social media is through their website, zinfin.org or zinfin.io, and then you can link onto their Reddit, their Telegram, their Twitter, 
Um, but what I really enjoy is the quality of discussion on their Telegram is really high. There's some seriously smart humans on there having some really good discussions. Fantastic. So those people, if they've got any uh, any questions they need answered, they can they can post that. And and would you say that they're fairly quick at responding? Well, two things will happen. Firstly, the the admins are really good at responding, but so is everyone else in the community. Well, that's what we like. So you hear. may not you may not necessarily get the response from someone from Zinfin, and I think that's the, the sign of a really healthy community when other people are contributing with their viewpoints rather than just those wonderful words of when moon when lambo but actually having a proper discussion and i know you love your when when lambo we had that discussion <laughs> the first time. You, you were appalled that i prefer my scooter oh yeah yes. i wanted to ask you what kind of a bike do you have i heard that what kind of a bike do you have because i also like two wheels he's got a moped well, mate <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I, live, I live in a city so i ride a scooter um, oh. just a Vespa 250 but when I'm out of the city the next That's bike funny. I get will probably be a, a monster or something like that some really nice Ducati so when you're on this Vespa do you get people like on those motorized you know wheelchairs going faster than you <laughs> it, in um, in Sydney no but in New Zealand they love hotting up their wheelchairs it's crazy down there <laughs> Definitely in Kiwiland, mate. Wheelchairs um, in New Zealand. <laughs> there was there was a front page article when I was down in New Zealand of four guys that got pulled over for speeding in their wheelchairs on the road. They all <laughs> hotted them up and they were drag racing. They're in their like eighties. Oh my god, <laughs> that, that's what I gotta do when I get old. Yes, <laughs> I know what I'm gonna do. Jeremy, you and me drag race in in wheelchairs. I I can say it with, with a beer in your hand. With beers, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll leave it there. It was great having you on the show. It's uh, We hope to see you again in the future when this alpha goes out there and you're a lot more, it's past all the beta. So uh, thank you again for coming on to the show. We've uh, learned a lot. You're a man of many knowledge, as we like to say. Uh, mate, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here, and thanks for letting me uh, participate in your banter. <laughs> nice <laughs> to meet you. It would be nice to hear when you get a real bike. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Thank you, David. Alright, guys, that was a pretty interesting interview. David's always got a lot to say. Definitely a man of many knowledge. Uh, what was your take, guys? I think he's a funny guy and I enjoy listening to him, I gotta be honest. So it was great having him on the show again. I think that he shared some invaluable expertise with us. And I like the idea that he's helping people get uh, access to funds. So, fantastic interview as usual. What do you think, Jeremy? I agree, and I'm glad to hear that they've got some users already in there working along to get it rolling, and I think there's a lot more potential about it in the future, too, like even with charity use and other stuff like that that they haven't even touched on. Mm. All right, people, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. You can find our podcast uploaded every Monday and Friday on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as our website. We'd love to hear what you think of our show, so please leave a comment and give us a review on iTunes. For more information about the news we've just discussed, head over to the website at altcoinbuzz.io where we publish all the latest news to keep you in the loop. So again, from the Altcoin Buzz podcast team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Vespa. Vespa. (laughs) 
The information discussed on the Altcoin Buzz YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Ladies YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Podcast, or other social media channels, including but not limited to Twitter, Telegram chats, Instagram, Facebook, website, etc., is not financial advice. This information is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Any information and advice or investment strategies are thoughts and opinions only, relevant to accepted levels of risk tolerance of the writer, reviewer, or narrator, and their risk tolerance may be different than yours. We are not responsible for your losses. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are high-risk investments, so please do your due diligence and consult a financial advisor before acting on any information provided. Copyright Altcoin Buzz, PTE Limited, all rights reserved.